sermon this morning for the sixth Sunday of Epiphany. Sunday, February 12th, uses the first reading from Deuteronomy chapter 30, starting at verse 15 to 20. Psalm 119, 1 to 8. Second reading, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 9. And from the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 to 37. Well, grace and peace to you from above. Friends, today we celebrate new life, new creation, a new beginning, being born again, an opportunity for each of us to start over. It's what Jesus came to give us. It's what God promised us all, the way back in the days of Moses and Israel when they departed from their days of bondage in Egypt. And what better way to see, feel, and understand what this new life, this new creation, this new beginning in Christ means than other than through our, partic- our participation in the liturgy of baptism. Now, of course, for this occasion today, for this family, baptism is all about the baby, right? The preparation for the reception, the hurrying and bustling of preparing in the morning, new clothes for not only the baby, but maybe for the mom and maybe for the dad, a different rhythm of the day, excitement. In this case, great-grandparents and grandparents and siblings and extended family, and of course, mom and dad and the newborn babe. But for the family of God, baptism is more about us as a family of God. More about the opportunity to pour our lives into the life of a new one welcomed into the faith. And so today, as mom and dad bring their newborn up to not only, as they raise that baby up, not only with food, shelter, warmth, and love, we too as a community of faith come alongside and Raise this baby up as a kid of the kingdom. New life, new creation, a new beginning, being born again. Yet before we get to the baptism part of our time and worship together this morning, there's another piece of the puzzle which requires some investigation as well. And that is the piece we read from the Sermon on the Mount found in Matthew's Gospel. And in some way, shape, or form, Let's investigate the possibility to mash together or unite together the meaning of baptism and the vision and the vision Jesus has for his subjects as their king in this kingdom of God that is both in heaven and here on earth. We turned our attention to the Sermon on the Mount now some two week, two Sundays ago with the ascending of Jesus atop a local mountain there in Galilee. And calling his disciples to him, Jesus opens up his vision for the kingdom of God with the words, Blessed are you. What a way to begin, eh? Blessed are you who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. Or in other words, blessed are you who knows your need for God. Blessed are you who know you are broken, who knows your heart is wanting and in great need, who knows that one has a debt that they cannot repay. And to those who know they have this bankruptcy, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
or to them the riches of the glory of God are open to them. Wow, what a beginning to a casting of a vision for what the kingdom of God is to look like here on, heaven, here on earth as it is in heaven. And then Jesus stepped up his opening lines by saying to his followers, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. You see, the people of Israel that Jesus was originally speaking to there, that is God's chosen people who were to bring God's flavor, as it were, into the land, to be God's light throughout the world, those folks had failed in their mission. The chosen people had turned inward upon themselves instead of outward towards all the people of the world. Their flavor had lost its pungency. Their light had gone out, and the city on the hill, Jerusalem, no longer was a beacon of light to the weary traveler. And so Jesus recast his father's vision to the good creation of the humans, that to those who were blessed from above were to now be salt and light. That is, they were to be the spice of life that God was giving into the world and the light shining into the world to all who had eyes to see. And then Jesus, in this Sermon on the Mount, ramps it up even one more step with the words, You have heard it said, but now I say to you. Here's where I want to begin to put some pieces of the puzzle together for us as to how baptism and the Sermon on the Mount may mash together, may unite together to give us a clearer picture of the kingdom of God. When Jesus' listeners hear the words, You have heard it said, they immediately knew Jesus was speaking of the law of Moses, even more specifically the Ten Commandments. And normally when a rabbi, that is a teacher of the law of Moses, would want to teach on the law, the rabbi would say something like, and this according to Rabbi Bar-Jonah, who learned that from Rabbi Bar-Yosevich, who learned from Rabbi so-and-so, Instead of referring to other rabbis, Jesus doesn't make that, that reference. Jesus says, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Jesus elevates his position from mere rabbi to the original author of the law, and, the, and now the author of the enhanced law of which he was about to speak. No greater Christological saying of Jesus equating himself with God is spoken by Jesus, you see. So when Jesus says, you have heard it said that you shall not murder, but I say to you, if you are angry with your brother or sister, and if you insult a brother or sister, or if you say you fool to a brother or sister, you have committed murder already in your heart. When Jesus says, you, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks upon a woman, and here I will add anyone who looks upon another human being with lust in their heart, has already committed adultery. For most of us, for all of us, I'm sure, if what Jesus says is true, <laughs> we're sunk. No one measures up to this. Who can do this? The answer, no one is able to live up to this standard save one, that is Jesus himself. Now here's the bit about baptism. Certainly Jesus lives to this standard. 
But might I also suggest that through the power of baptism, to those who are washed in the waters of baptism and have been born again into the saving grace of God's love and acceptance, to the one living a new life, a new creation, having been born again, that person now also has the power and the strength to live up to this standard. How is that possible, you ask? Well, more on that in a moment. But for today, the baby that we bring forth to be baptized in the new life in Jesus, as most of us here today have already experienced, and we will recommit our way once again to living this life of grace and truth. Now, on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus calls his disciples, his followers, his kingdom, to live a new life, to live a life of new creation. It is a call as well to Israel to a new beginning. It is a call to the subjects of the king to live as salt and light in a dark and tasteless world. The Sermon on the Mount is a call to Jesus' kingdom to live a life as one who is poor in spirit, to fact mourn with those who weep, to be meek as a wild stallion who has come under the control of a good trainer, to hunger and thirst for righteousness against the atrocities of society and cultural norms, to be merciful to those who do not deserve mercy, to be pure in heart to all, to seek peace in the midst of chaos. Jesus calls his disciples to capture each undesirable thought in their hearts, murder, hatred, gossip, adultery, lust, and control over another human being, and cast it away and think upon the grace that was bestowed upon them, and then to turn and give that grace to others. To live then as kids of the kingdom means to be like Jesus was and is to us and for us today. And so to the Baptist here present, I say live as kids of the kingdom. Live up to the standard Jesus sets in the Sermon on the Mount. Hold no hatred, no lust in your heart. How do I do that? One asks. Well, we do that through the power of the living God, the Holy Spirit, who lives within us through the mystical works of baptism. We in ourselves hold no sway over the power of sin and death in our own being. However, through the strength of the Holy Spirit living within us, whether received as an infant or adult, we now have the ability to hold fast, to capture the poor and evil thoughts in our hearts and minds, and give them to God. And once given to God, God the Holy Spirit will replace those undesirable thoughts with the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Impossible, you say? My evil thoughts and ways are bigger than an elephant. Well, how does one eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Start with this bite. Close your eyes. Take a breath in and let that breath out. Quiet your heart and quiet your mind here just for a few moments. Whittle your thoughts down to one. That one thought then is to think of someone. Someone easy to forgive. Someone easy to let go of some kind of hatred you have for him or her. Now let that anger go and give it to God. And then ask the Holy Spirit to fill that space with something of God. Something good. Perhaps love. And then tomorrow, pick somebody else to close your eyes and think upon one more person that you could forgive. 
and then allow God to fill that space you have made that as you emptied your heart and your mind with that anger. Ask God to fill that space with something good, perhaps joy, perhaps peace. How do you eat a, an elephant? One bite at a time. <clears throat> But shortly after that, after we move into our baptism, we will move to the second great mystery of faith that we bring forth in our worship, the Eucharist. To all baptized in the faith, then we call you to come forward and to receive Christ once again. Whether you received last week or last year or years ago, come, come and receive Christ once again. I call you who are healthy and whole. I call you who are bruised and beaten up by the world. Come today to receive the body and blood of Christ, to renew your hearts and minds, so that together we may then continue to be the body of Christ. Come, receive the blessings of God through the work of Jesus, and receive Him once again. Amen. Amen.